Yeah, yeah, we got we to gotta work on the clap there. Go ahead and there, there you go. All right, there you go. Yeah. If you have your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I have a question for you after you find Daniel 6. Look up here because I have a question for you. And that is, what is the most important thing that you can do as a Christian? What's the most important thing that you can do as a Christian? And I have a one-word answer for you. The most important thing that you can do as a Christian is faith. Put your faith, put your hope in God. In fact, uh, faith is the initial step in our lives towards God. You think about the story of Christianity. In many ways, Christianity is unique from all other major world religions and that it's grounded in grace. God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because of his love, he sends his son. His son lives a life of purity that we could never live. His son dies on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. His son overcomes death. His son ascends to heaven and is coming again to restore all things. And the scriptures call us to believe in his son. So our relationship with God begins with a simple step of faith where we believe in Christ. And it is from that faith that the rest of our Christianity is lived out. Growing in Christ is all about steps of faith. You want to be a more mature Christian? You have to take steps of faith. And each step that I take in my journey, I I learn to trust God more. With each step of faith that I take in, in, my, in my walk, I experience the power of God, I experience the wisdom of God, and I experience the love of God in my life. Faith is essential to the Christian story. Now, for several weeks, we've been learning about the prophet Daniel. And as you look at the stories there in the book of Daniel, you see that they are absolutely dripping with faith. Every story involves faith. If you remember chapter 1, in chapter 1, Daniel is living out his teenage years there in Jerusalem. He's all concerned about whether or not he can get a date for the prom and whether or not he'll get any handoffs in the Friday night football game. He's living out his life. Well, then the Babylonians come, they besiege the city, and the next thing you know, Daniel is being taken into slavery, taken away from his home, taken away from his family. His name is changed. Everything about his life is changed. They are trying to indoctrinate Daniel in a thoroughly Babylonian way of life. Now, it would have been very easy for Daniel at that point to abandon his faith and to leave his faith back in Jerusalem. But Daniel refused to do that. In chapter 1, the Bible says that he determined that he wasn't going to abandon his God. And as a young teenager, y'all's age, Daniel made a determination that he was going to trust God even though he was in a new environment. And there's a lot of application there because there's seasons in our life where we go through change, where everything becomes new. Maybe you're new to a community, new to a church, 
Maybe you're going off to college. You're starting a, a transition point where you're leaving junior high to high school. Wherever that might be, you go into this new stage where everything is new, and it would be really easy to leave behind our faith and keep that back in that other stage. And yet we see in Daniel that even when we find ourselves in new territory, we have to determine that our faith still remains. Well, in chapter 2, Daniel finds himself in the presence of a crazy king. The king has this wild dream, and he's calling upon all the wisdom uh, sector within his kingdom to tell him the dream and to give him an interpretation. And nobody can do it. And he's about to kill Daniel, but Daniel and his friends, they turn their faith towards God, and they seek God's wisdom, and then God gives him the answer to the problem. In chapter 3, the crazy king builds a big tech-sized statue of himself. Everybody that walked into Babylon heard the statue say, Howdy, folks. Welcome to the Babylonian Empire. And the king called everybody out, and he said, You need to bow down, and you need to worship this statue of me. But the Hebrew 3... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to worship. The king said to them, don't you understand? I'm going to throw you into a furnace of fire if you don't worship me. And they said, you know what? We don't, that'll be okay. We have faith in our God. In chapters 4 and 5, Daniel had to stand before two different kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and he had to give them bad news. He looked those kings in the eye. It would have been very easy for Daniel to have cowered away from the message, maybe just make something up. But instead, with his faith in God, he delivered to them the message from God. And now today, we see another story of faith. We begin in chapter 6, verse 1. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators, including Daniel. And these satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Now, you'll remember, Darius is the king of Persia. And in the last chapter, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persian Empire. So Darius is now the new ruler of Babylon, and he is ruling at a distance. He's back in Persia trying to manage this kingdom and in the world they lived in, uh, they weren't nearly as connected as we are today. And so he had to have people that he could trust to manage the kingdom. And so he sets up three men as administrators. These were the top three men in the entire Babylonian community. And Daniel is named one of those administrators. Well, in verse 3, Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him up over the whole realm. So Daniel's spirit is so extraordinary that the king is impressed, and the king is planning, he's working things towards Daniel being essentially the acting king, the acting ruler of Babylon. Now think how far this guy has come. From a young boy being led to Babylon in chains, now he's in a position to be the ruler of the entire region. Verse 4, the administrators and satraps, therefore, 
kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They didn't want him to be the ruler. But the scriptures say they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. And then these men said, We will never find any charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. And all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed. By the way, that was a lie. Daniel had not agreed on this. But they said, We've agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict for 30 days. And anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den. So basically the ordinance is is that for 30 days nobody can pray to any other person or petition any other person or god for a month. And if they do, they're going to become a feast for the lions. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the document. Now, I want you to take note of several things here in this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want you to notice that all of Daniel's life, he was working around and he was living amongst unethical, corrupt people. Daniel was living in an environment that didn't honor God. He was living with people who would lie, who would sell one another out, who would stab him in the back if they got the opportunity. That was the environment in which he lived. Thankfully, nobody in this room has that problem, right? Nobody in this room ever experiences uh, corruption or betrayal at work or even within family relationships. Nobody in this room lives in an environment where there's people that do not honor God. So none of us can relate to Daniel on this, can we? He's kind of like Gilligan, just living out on an island all by himself. Secondly, I want you to notice that Daniel's work was trustworthy. There was no negligence in his work, and there was no corruption in his work. Even whenever his enemies looked at the way in which he carried about his business, they could not find a charge against him. He was a hard worker. He was a man of integrity. He was trustworthy in every way. And the Bible says that the king saw within him an extraordinary spirit. In fact, the king promoted him because there was something different about the way in which Daniel went about his business. Now, thirdly, notice that frequently this benefited Daniel. Several times throughout his story, Daniel is promoted. He's put into a new position because his spirit was extraordinary. His work ethic was trustworthy. He was diligent. He was capable in every way. And frequently this led to promotions. But frequently it also led him to get in trouble. There were times where his peers did not like him. They would conspire against him. They would try to set him up to be taken down 
by the king. And I think we should remember something here, and that is that just because you do the right things doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you. I used to think early on in the ministry, you know, if I just loved people and and did the right things, everybody will like me. The church will always get along. Everything everything will be hunky-dory, right? Well, and, and I've learned something over the years. I've learned that you can heal the blind. And by the way, I don't heal the blind. But you can heal the blind and you can walk on water. And there will still be some people that want to crucify you. And a lot of times the people that want to crucify you are the ones that call themselves the chief priest. Daniel was doing the right things, but there were still people that didn't like him. Fifth, I want you to notice that frequently Daniel was faced with a critical decision. Do I trust God or not? Do I trust God or not? Now let me ask you this second question. In your life, where do you place your hope? Take inventory of your life. In your life, where do you place your hope? Now, this is an important question. It's one that at some level, uh, consciously or unconsciously, we all answer. And where you place your hope in life, that's where we'll find your faith. There's a lot of candidates that are running for the office of hope. We can place our hope in our hands. If it's going to be, it's up to me. We can place our hope in society's hands. We can place our hope in government's hands. We can place our hope in our family's hands. Or perhaps we should place our hope in God's hands. Where your hope is, that's where your faith will follow. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's not difficult to please God without hope. It is impossible to please God without hope, without faith, I should say. Faith is not an optional exercise in the Christian life. I'm afraid that that sometimes in American Christianity, we've kind of promoted a, a Jesus care type of faith. And we've said things like, Uh, if you like your life, you can keep it. Did you get the imitation there? It's not very good. I'm sorry. I do a better Bill Clinton than I do, but anyway, uh, I'll move on. If you like your life, you can keep it. But here's what you ought to do. You ought to add Jesus because Jesus will make your life even better. And then we've said on the flip side now, if you don't like your life, add Jesus to your life. And then everything, he'll, he'll make it all better. And so frequently within the American church, when people believed in Jesus, we've asked three things of them. We said, this, this is how you'll be a better Christian. Number one, you need to be a good church member. Come to church on Sundays, worship, sing, become a part of a life group, uh, give to the offering, uh, uh, find a, a ministry that you can serve in, and, and be a good church member. Not that there's anything wrong with being a good church member. We, we encourage that. But secondly, we, we would say to folks, okay, then, then you need to study the Bible. You need to learn more about God. And so learn the books of the Bible, learn verses, uh, open the Bible in Sunday school and have a lesson, things like that, uh, and, and then you'll mature as a Christian. 
And then thirdly, we, we told them that they needed to do some practical things, like they needed to drink lots of coffee, uh, eat donuts, and enjoy Chick-fil-A. And if you could do those three things, then you'd fit in really well. Well, now, here's the problem with that, because none of those things are wrong, or none of those things are, are, are bad things, but you can attend church all the time. You can know a lot about the Bible. You can eat chicken nuggets three times a day. You can do all these things that we do in the Christian community, but have very little faith in God. Not really be living out your faith. And remember, at the very initial point of our walk with Christ is a step of faith. And it's not a one-time event that once I take that step of faith and then I'm through with faith for the rest of my life. No, uh, those steps of faith are also how we mature in our Christian walk. And Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible for you and me to please God. Understand this, living out your faith will require change in your life. To live my life with faith It means that I'm putting my hope in God instead of resting in my own abilities, instead of resting in society, instead of resting in government, or or even in family, as good as family is. That's not where my ultimate hope is found. My ultimate hope is found in God because my faith is in Him. Living out my faith means I continue to put my hope in God even when things don't make sense or when things are beyond my control. Even whenever I get that bad diagnosis, even whenever I have that problem in my family, even whenever my job goes south, whenever these things happen, I am a person of faith, and I continue to put my faith in God, even whenever I go through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm grieving like the Pate families and like the Moore families are within our body this week, even during those circumstances, I continue to trust God. Living out my faith means that sometimes times, and this is hard, especially in our American mindset for us to understand, but but living out our faith means that sometimes God's going to let me work through my discouragement because he has a purpose in mind. And so sometimes God's going to put me through some difficult moments because there, there, there is a greater purpose that the Heavenly Father is doing in my life or in his world, and I'm going through this difficult time Because God has a purpose in mind. Now the king had made an irrevocable decree. For 30 days, you can't pray to anyone but me. You've probably heard of the saying, the law of the Medes and the Persians. Within their law, whenever the king spoke, it was in stone. It could not be changed. So Daniel, how are you going to respond? The king said, you couldn't pray. For some of us, that wouldn't be that big of a deal because we don't pray that often. But Daniel, you're a man of prayer. Every day you pray. What are you going to do now? Well, the Bible says in verse 10, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, so he has full knowledge here, when he learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room open towards Jerusalem. Now that's interesting to me because now Daniel was an older man, perhaps even in his 60s. 
He no longer was that teenage boy that long ago was taken from his hometown in Jerusalem. But even as an older man, he still kept his windows opened towards Jerusalem. He remembered the temple there, and he remembered the worship, and he remembered what his mom and his grandmom and his aunts and his uncles taught him about God. And three times a day, he got down on his knees with the windows open, and what did he do? He prayed, and he gave thanks to his God. He did the very thing that we did earlier today. He prayed, and he gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The decree of the wicked king, it didn't change Daniel's behavior. He was a man of faith before, and he was going to continue to be a man of faith, even if the king said he could not. You ever been to the Dallas Zoo? Who's all been to the Dallas Zoo in here? Well, our family has small kids, and so we go to the Dallas Zoo two, three times a year. And at the Dallas Zoo, they have a lion's den. I'm sure if you've been there, you've seen it. Oh, I don't know. They probably have about 15, 20 lions there in the lion's den. And right next to the lion's den, they have a restaurant. It's kind of an ironic thing, but they have a restaurant, and you can go in there and buy yourself a $9 hamburger and a $3 Coke. And on 100-degree days, it's, it's one of the places that's air-conditioned in the zoo, so it's a welcomed retreat. And as you're eating your $9 hamburger and $3 Coke, one of the things that makes the whole experience uh, more affordable is that they have this big window that looks out over the lion's den. Thankfully, it's got thick glass with the window. And so one day, we're eating, and like all the lions were right up by the window. It was phenomenal. And my girls, they were like four and three at the time. They were like banging on the window and, you know, like putting their feet on the lion. Look at me, Dad, my feet are on the lions, you know. And McKenna, she's my kind of spunky one, and she's, she's over there sticking her tongue out at the lions and doing na-na-na-na-na, things like that to the lions. And I, I went up to her and I asked her, I said, hey, McKenna, how would you like to get down in the lion's den? She's like, no way. I don't want to get in the lion's Absolutely. I mean, she wouldn't have any of that. None of us would like to be thrown into a lion's den. And you know, if somebody was threatening me that, that if I pray, I'm going to throw you in the lion's den, I think that would really be a strong test of faith in my life. Well, Daniel's enemies, they watched him carefully. And when they saw him praying in the window, they immediately went to King Darius and they said, Hey, look here, we filmed this on our iPhones. Daniel's over here. And he's praying. And so the king uh, immediately, even though he was distraught, he found himself in a tough situation. I've made this law in our empire. My law is in stone, and so there's nothing that I can do to change the law. And Daniel has broken the law. So in verse 16, the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Now, this is a key point to the story. Because this was not just a test of faith for Daniel. This was also a test of faith for this wicked king. This wicked king had seen an extraordinary spirit in Daniel. He had watched Daniel's faith even go against his order. He did not want to throw Daniel into the lion's den. He liked Daniel. And even as Daniel was being cast in to the den, 
He says, may your God that you serve, may, may he rescue you. And then the stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. His fate had been sealed. And then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. Oh, Daniel, look where your faith has gotten you now. Look what's happened to you, man. You've lost your job. You've been arrested. And now here you are. Gourmet dinner for a big cat. If only Daniel had been more wise. It was just 30 days. It'd be okay. Just shut the windows. Don't be so bold. Cower back a little. Lay low. Ah, Daniel's faith, though. His hope was not in the world. His hope was in God. And so he continued to persevere in faith. Well, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions. And then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. I love Daniel's politeness here. Hey, I just threw you in the lion's den last night. Are you still alive? You okay? Hey, may you live forever. You know, I'm still going to be polite. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they haven't hurt me, for I was found innocent before him. And also I have not committed a crime Against you, my king. So in the middle of the story, God shows up and he shuts the mouths of the lions. You say, well, how did he do that? Were they muzzled or something like that? No, this is what we call a miracle. And let me remind you again that in Christianity, uh, miracles are kind of a large part of the story like rising from the dead kind of miracles. And sometimes people stumble over miracles. But if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then any miracle in the Bible is easy after that. If you believe that God exists and that God can create the world, then causing a lion not to be hungry for an evening is not that big of a deal for that God, is it? Okay, so this is a miracle. Now, here's a question for you. Why did God put Daniel through the lion's den? Why did God put Daniel through the lion's den? Now, I think we always have to be careful whenever we speculate as to why God allows something to happen. But I think one of the answers to that question, and one of the big answers to that question, is that God wanted to change the heart of a wicked king. Because you notice, right after Daniel is taken out of the lion's den, look what Darius writes. Verse 25, King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth. So it appears that he wrote this to everybody in his kingdom, and he may have even sent it 
to other kings so that it could be read to everybody within his knowledge. And here's what the king writes. He says, may your prosperity abound. He wanted their prosperity abound because he planned on conquering them soon and he wanted to take their wealth. So may your prosperity abound. And then he says in verse 26, I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And then here's what the king writes about our God. He says, for he is the living God and he endures forever. Here's what this king says about the reign of our God. He says, his kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. Here's what the king says about our God. He says he rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And the story ends that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel was just a teenage boy taken from his home. He was forced to live a life that he never wanted to live. This wasn't his script. This wasn't his dream. I mean, how many of you guys as teenagers right now sit there and think, you know, What I want for my life is I want some foreign country to come overthrow us and drag me over there and and be raised over there away from my family. My name changed and everything about me changed. That's not his script. As a young man, though, he made a decision. The Babylonians can take my life, but they can't take my soul. The Babylonians can change everything about my environment, but they're not going to take my faith. He continued to trust God even whenever everything was taken from him. He lived out his faith. He lived out his faith in an environment that makes Las Vegas look wholesome. Everything about the Babylonian Empire was full of debauchery, and yet Daniel continued to live out his faith. His faith took him through betrayal. His faith took him to the brink of death several times. And I would also say that Daniel's not alive today, His faith even took him through death. And he also saw that God used his faith to change the heart of two emperors. King Nebuchadnezzar, before his death, praised God. King Darius, before his death, praised God. Here's this young teenage boy, lost everything, taken in chains to live in Babylon, And through his faith, two kings would wind up praising God. Their edicts and their praise of God would go out to the entire kingdom. God would use this man's faith in ways that he could never have imagined. This morning I was praying for uh, Pastor Sampson and Joy as they are ministering amongst the Punjabi people in India. It's up close to the Pakistan border. You may have read an article the other day where there was a couple taken from their home and beaten and and burned to death uh, that were there in the Punjabi area. Thankfully, that was on the Pakistan side of the border, so it was away from where Samson and Joy are. But they're over there, and they are trying to help a new church be built 
They're trying to help encourage pastors and, and train uh, pastors so that they can go out in the village and, and serve God faithfully away from their home for many months. I'm thankful for our church, which was able to raise money so that they could go over and help build this church. And, and that, that for many, many years, worship of God will go forth there amongst the Punjabi people. The Punjabi people are on our international mission board's list of unreached people groups. What that means is that less than 2% of the Punjabi people uh, are, are followers of Jesus Christ. And I, I think that as believers, it should be intolerable to us that people live their entire life and they never even hear the message of Christ. We have another man from our church body. His name's Monsi. He's part of our Asian Indian congregation. And, and he also goes to India. He goes to a different province. It's an area known, I, I believe it's Odisha is the name of it. And back in 2008, there was a radical uprising there. There were about 400 believers killed. There were over 1,300 injured the churches were all burned down. I mean, this is real persecution going on there. And Monsi and his wife decided amongst themselves that they would start going over there and helping the believers rebuild the churches so that they could once again worship in their church buildings. And so he's been doing this for a few years now, just on his own, going over and helping these believers who have found themselves in the face of persecution. Why do these guys do this kind of stuff? Why do they do that? Why, why are the Leonards uh, changing their whole life structure so that they can be missionaries for Josh McDowell Ministries and, and share uh, apologetics with the world? Why, why did Jack and Mary, members of our church, uh, leave their retirement lifestyle and move to Thailand to share the gospel and to help people there in Thailand? Why, why do people do these sort of things? This, this doesn't make sense. I mean, we have a nice, nice life. Well, why do they do that? Because they realize that the most important thing they can do as a Christian is to put their faith totally in their God. They realize that Faith is not just something that you do on Sundays, but being a person of faith is something that you are. And so church, just imagine with me for a second what God could do with your life if you are totally committed to Him in faith. Think about what God could do in your schools if you guys were just totally committed in faith, think about what God could do in our families if we would be people of faith and what God could do in our communities. Think about what God could do in our county. I'm mindful that uh, as we gather for worship here in Murphy, that believers are gathering in Saxe and Wiley and Richardson and Plano and McKinney and all around this county. And we're not the only church in the county. We have brothers and sisters all over the place that are also gathering. And could you imagine what could happen if our county really started living our faith out day to day, trusting in Jesus? What is the most important thing that you can do as a Christian? Put your faith totally in your God. When your faith is totally in your God, God will use your one and only life in ways that you can never imagine. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? The musicians are going to lead us in song, and I would invite you, if the Lord leads you, to sing with them. 
Uh, sing hard, sing loud, uh, sing to the Lord. I, I encourage you right now, if, if you feel led to pray, to spend this time in prayer. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, I'll be right here at the front. It's always my honor to pray with you. If today needs to be the day where you become a believer in Christ and take that initial step of faith, come see me. I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, if, if you can't find me, then talk to somebody that you know that is a believer and say, I need to take that step of faith. I need to believe in Christ today. But I want you to know this, that if you'll live your life with your faith in Christ and if your hope is totally in Christ, that God can take your life and He can use it to make a difference. You may be like Daniel and never realize just what God is doing. And all the while, God is using your life to change the heart of powerful people. He's using your life to give testimony of faith to people thousands of years later because you trusted Him and you followed Him. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God that rescues and delivers. I thank you, Lord, that the troubles that we face do not surprise you because you know yesterday, you know today, and you know tomorrow. I thank you, Father, that you are working in our lives to a destination point, that we might be conformed to the image of your Son. I thank you, Lord that you have called us to be a part of your family and that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we are adopted children and we are loved by our Heavenly Father. And as we look to the past, we see how you have called us and we see how you have worked in our lives and you've always been faithful to us even whenever difficulty came. And as we look inward, we realize that we are yours because of Christ and we are justified and we are dearly loved children that you could never love us more then you love us today in Christ. We are loved by you. We are justified and we are, we are righteous in Christ. And we look towards the future and we realize that our hope that we experience in part today will be fully experienced whenever we are face to face with you. And so, Lord, we proclaim to you your greatness and we live our lives in faith asking that you might use our days for your glory. In Jesus' name.